0: Well, thank you so much for joining our ABF online service. And I pray that you are having a fantastic week and you are showing up today to be challenged in your walk with the Lord. Well, whether you are near or far, we'd love to hear from you. So text us at 97,000, your prayer requests, uh, anything that you would like to share with us. Man, our staff considers it a privilege to partner with you in prayer. Well, at ABF, we have so many things going on throughout the week. We've got Bible studies, life groups, children's events, tons of things. We'd love for you to jump on our website at agorabible.org and check out how you can get involved. Our ongoing ministries are only made possible through your generous financial support, and we would be grateful if you would prayerfully consider uh, supporting us. So if you'd like to make a donation, just go on our website, and you can hit the Give tab. Well, before we dive into God's Word, I would love for you to join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we are just grateful that we have this opportunity to learn from your word, from you, God Almighty. So Lord, in these moments, I pray that you would speak to every individual that is here ready to hear a word from you. So Lord, speak clearly to us. We open ourselves up to your authority. We love you, and we pray all these things in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Well, thank you so much, Adrian. Hello, everybody. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Here in a moment, we are gonna be diving into God's word together, into the book of Matthew. However, before that, have a brief video for you. So our team, uh, our church sent two teams down to Mexico, a total of 47 people. We built two houses just last week. And we wanted to just share a little bit of our experience with you. And so we have a quick video uh, from day four, the last day of our build, uh, getting to hand over the keys to the new homes, to the families that received them down in Mexico. Go ahead and check out this video.
0: I'll never be more love than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up. So there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. Every time when you feel like you're never worthy, but I am right. I've had now, so much fun ooh. coming here to build this home with you all. To meet your friends. Going through a storm. This is just the but the I won't journey. go down. I, that. I hear your voice yeah, Carried in the rhythm much. of the wind to call me uh, uh. out, you would cross an ocean, so I wouldn't
1: and Incredible, incredible week! It was absolutely amazing. Uh, We built two of those houses on the video that were shown. Uh, If you remember the scene where there was two houses being built right next to each other, those were the two that we built. It's actually really special. The family side of the trip, getting to be just next to the high schoolers as they were building a house, turned into a little competition, friendly, of course. Uh, But it was just really special to just be there on the same site. A little bit about our family. So we're building. Uh, a house for one family, but two families at the same time. The family dynamic was, it was a mom that had four children and that her two older children are both married with kids of their own and all of them, there was 10 of them kind of under one roof. And so now we're building uh, two houses and uh, the oldest son and his wife and his daughter and their daughter-to-be, because you saw a pregnant uh, woman in the video received one of the houses and then everybody else was gonna be in the other house. It was, uh, it was an amazing week. Uh, their story was pretty wild. They actually uh, fled down to Ensenada just three years ago um, from a couple of things that I won't get into the details here, but just crazy to hear their story and how God was blessing them with a the home. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, one of the things that did not get pictured on that video is probably my favorite part of the entire week, was Delani. we have a little picture of her uh, here. You can check out this picture of Delani. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. Um, Delani, when she went into the house and went into her room, Uh, Donna, Denise and Andrea had bought a really cute setup for her with blankets. They had this like shelf and a mirror and a couple of toys and just a really cute setup in her room. And when Delani went in and saw her room for the first time, she let out this shriek of joy. It was so good. It was like right there. I think I turned to someone and said, that makes the whole week worth it right there. It was absolutely spectacular. Um, Thank you so much. If you were one of the People praying for us while we were gone last week. And just saying, we are going to go next year as well. We'd love to have you come and join us building some houses down in Mexico next year. All right. Transitioning into God's Word. Today, we are continuing in our summer series, 10 Questions That Jesus Asked. And today, we'll be looking at one of those famous situations where the religious leaders come and kind of attack Jesus and accuse him of things, and his response is not necessarily like your standard defense, uh, but he defends himself and responds by asking questions. If you've read the scripture uh, at all, you probably know what I'm talking about, but that's the type of question that we're getting into today. Let me pray for us, and then let's start. Dear Father, um, Lord, just thank you. Um, Thank you for your goodness. Thank you so much for just an incredible week down in Mexico. Um, Thank you for the things that you're doing, yeah, around the world, uh, that your church, that the good news of Jesus is moving forth in all corners of the world. And uh, thank you for just getting to be your hands and feet and be a part of it. God, today, we ask for just um, your presence. We ask for your nearness. Ask that you'd speak to us. Would your Holy Spirit be moving and working? Would your word speak so clearly? Um, Lord, I pray that you'd get me out of the way. Um, Lord, I pray that... um, anything, uh, would be from you. I ask that your Holy Spirit again would just be moving and working and doing what only your Holy Spirit can do. Um, yeah, God, I, uh, I just give this time to you now and, um, yeah, we just need you. So we love you and we pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you would, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, whether you have a Bible, your Bible app, it's obviously always good to be in God's word, but if you don't have, uh, Either of those, obviously, it's going to be right up on the screen, so you can just follow along as we go. Matthew 12, starting in verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Stop right there. So a little bit of context as it says at that time. So Jesus and his disciples at that time were kind of out in the Galilee. They were visiting the different towns and villages. They were healing, preaching, teaching, etc. just kind of doing their thing, doing their ministry around in Galilee. So one Saturday, one Sabbath, most likely they're traveling in between towns, and the path that they're on is kind of in the middle of some grain fields. Uh, The disciples were hungry. This was just probably an understatement, but the disciples were hungry as they're traveling around, moving around, and so they plucked some of the grain out of the grain field to eat. Well, the Pharisees saw and scolded Jesus for his disciples breaking the Sabbath rules. Now this brings up a number of questions. Even before we get into, okay, what is Sabbath? What are the Sabbath rules? What are we talking about here? The first thing that stands out and the first question that should be asked is what in the world are the Pharisees doing out in the middle of the grain fields to see what's going on with Jesus and his disciples? Uh, this definitely does not seem coincidental. It's not one of those situations where, oh, they just so happened to see Jesus and his disciples out in the grain fields. Uh, based on what we know is going on in the situation, kind of the climate of the time and the tension between the Pharisees and how they felt about Jesus, Uh, it seems as if they are just absolutely trying to catch him doing something that they don't approve of. Uh, And so are they just following him around on the Sabbath, just waiting for him to break the Sabbath rules? It kind of feels that way. The interesting part about that is that some commentators brought up uh, the fact that it's quite possible the Pharisees were breaking the very Sabbath laws they were trying to enforce just by being out in the grain fields. But of course, they would be excused because they are the Pharisees and they are enforcing the rules. Just a very interesting uh, kind of side note as we discuss this and kind of plays into the whole culture of what's going on. But regardless, even if they themselves were not breaking any of the Sabbath Laws at the time, there are questions that begged to be asked. Um, Were Jesus' disciples, in fact, breaking the Sabbath by plucking grain, by rolling it in their hands, as we see in Luke's account of this very same story, and by eating it? The Pharisees thought, yes, they are breaking the Sabbath, But clearly, Jesus thought no, right? If Jesus thought they were doing anything wrong, wouldn't he have stopped them before the Pharisees even got involved? So, uh, to dive into a little bit of what's going on, this tension here, let's take a very brief look at the background of Sabbath. So, God clearly commanded his people to remember and observe a Sabbath day every week by resting and not working. It's very, very clear. Not only is it in the 10 Commandments, but out of all of the 10 Commandments, the most is said about the command to keep Sabbath. It's uh, almost 50% of all the words in the 10 Commandments are regarding the Sabbath. It's very, very clear. So if God commanded it, why is Jesus being so nonchalant about it? Is Jesus just disregarding the 10 Commandments? and the law that God gave? No, no he's not. So although keeping Sabbath was clearly still a binding command at the time, the Jews had distorted it over the years big time. What was intended by God as a gift to the people had become this heavy, heavy burden laid on the people. The Sabbath had become more tiresome than any of the other days of the week. Any of the other days of the week where people were working. And you know something is messed up, something is wrong when it is harder, more difficult to rest than it is to work. So the Jewish rabbis had created and passed down an exhaustive list of rules concerning what they thought was keeping and breaking the Sabbath. What do I mean by exhaustive? Well, this list was exhaustive. In one section of the Talmud, which is the major compilation of Jewish uh, tradition, there were 24 chapters of Sabbath laws. 24 chapters chapters of Sabbath laws. So technically, these were not as equally authoritative as Scripture, but in all reality, it was kind of treated the same way. Over the years, the tradition, the Talmud, uh, this kind of thing had uh, basically as much uh, authority as Scripture did. And I was reading through some of these Sabbath laws. There are some... let me share a couple of them. There's some that are pretty wild. Uh, one of my favorites is that you are not allowed to take a bath. No bathing allowed. You couldn't take a bath because uh, it's not because bathing itself was considered work, but if you so happen to spill some water on the floor, that was Uh, considered washing the floor, which would be considered work. Okay, catch this. You're not allowed to take a bath because it's possible you might spill some water and that would be considered washing the floor, which is work. Two, women were not allowed to look in a mirror on the Sabbath. And there's not, not because just the act of looking in the mirror was work, that wasn't it. However, if a woman looked in a mirror, it is possible that she would see a gray hair. And if she saw a gray hair, it is possible that she would be tempted to pluck it. And if she plucked it, that would be considered work. So therefore, no looking in a mirror because A might lead to B, which might lead to C, which might lead to D, and D was work. Yep. The last one that I'll share, um, I found them interesting and a little humorous if I'm being completely honest, Uh, but this was the system that they lived under. If a person was sick, starving, or injured, only enough treatment was allowed to be given to that person to keep them alive, bare minimum. No more treatment was allowed to be given. You weren't allowed to give any additional treatment for their condition to improve. Okay, because that would be considered work. So you had to find that perfect balance of giving them enough treatment to keep them alive, but not any more treatment to help them improve, because that would be considered work. Now, there's a lot wrong with that just in general, Um, but think about how like much of a problem that causes for the people. uh, That situation is so stinking subjective. So how how much can I do for that person to keep them alive? And I want to keep them alive, but I don't want them to improve. It's just like walking this impossible fine line between how much help is enough or too much. And in a subjective situation like that, guess who has the final say on if you did too much or not, if you broke Sabbath law? You guessed it the Pharisees, the rabbis, the religious leaders, the very people that wrote the laws. So they write the laws, they interpret God's word, write the laws uh, themselves, and then they are the judge, jury, executioner on all of it. Uh, Pretty intense and crazy system if you think about it. Uh, It really created an impossibly rough situation for the entirety of the Jewish nation. Not only was keeping Sabbath a lot of work, But it was borderline tyrannical let's just call it what it is so back here in the grain fields it's not that this situation was necessarily very subjective as was the last example that i shared but now you see the picture of what keeping sabbath quote unquote looked like back then Here, in this situation, the Pharisees are upset that Jesus' disciples, one, plucked the grain, because that was considered reaping and work, two, that they rubbed the grain in their hands. Again, we see that in Luke's account, uh, because that was considered technically a form of threshing also work. And three, it's possible they were upset about the disciples eating it. Depends on how much the disciples ate. They were allowed to eat up to the amount of an olive any more than eating an olive was considered work. There was quotas for all of that. Um, So the question comes down to were Jesus' disciples breaking the rabbinical Sabbath laws? Well, yeah but Jesus doesn't seem to have any issue with it. He doesn't seem to think that they are breaking God's Sabbath laws. So let's keep reading and take a look. Jesus has more to say uh, on the issue. Starting in verse three, he, Jesus, said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Stop right there. So before we address these two questions that Jesus asks kind of as a defense, as a response to the Pharisees, uh, Remember who he is asking these questions to. Some of the most religious, most educated, and most zealous people on the planet in regards to the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish law. Uh, Therefore, think about these two questions that he just asked them. They are absolutely just dripping with sarcasm. And I am so intrigued as to the tone that Jesus used with them. Did he give like the outright sarcastic tone to just like, I don't know, kind of stick them with it? I personally like to think, mostly because it's more entertaining for me, I personally like to think that he played it super, super innocently. Hey guys, have uh, have you ever read the story of David before? Um, so David, he was this king. He was like really well-liked in our history. Uh, one of the ultimate heroes of anybody that's ever been a Jew before. Really cool stories about him. There's this one story in the book of Samuel. Um, oh, Samuel is uh, just one of the prophets. He There's a, a whole book about him in the Torah. The Torah is our scripture, by the way. Like, I can just see him going down the line, just like needling them, like in such an innocent way. I don't know. That's how I like to picture it. I don't know how he asked the questions. He might have been pretty direct uh, as well. I'm not sure. Um, But regardless of the tone that he uses, the message is Incredible! It's absolutely incredible. The story that he's referencing here about David is in 1 Samuel 21, and it's a story about David and his men. They're out on the run, running from King Saul. King Saul is chasing them, trying to take their lives. They're out on the run. They are famished, and they arrive in the city of Nob, and he goes to the tabernacle and asks for bread. They're starving. They ask for bread. The problem is, at this moment in time, there's no common or ordinary bread. The only bread available and around at that moment was the bread of the presence. So on every Saturday, on every Sabbath, the priests would bake 12 new loaves of bread. These 12 would represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would replace the old loaves of bread that were made the previous Sabbath. The loaves that got replaced, the old loaves, could only be eaten by the priests. And that was according to law. That was according to God's law we see in Leviticus chapter 24. This is not just tradition. This is God's ceremonial law handed down to the people. The replaced bread could only be eaten by the priests. Yet, this situation that Jesus is bringing up uh, with David, Ahimelech the priest at the time, gave this bread of the presence to David and his men because they were because they were so hungry because of the situation uh, and what was going on at the moment. And Jesus's point here with the Pharisees is that God even set aside. His own ceremonial law in this specific instance because he cared for David and his men, he cared for his kids and how hungry they were. So he set aside the ceremonial law so that they could eat and be nourished. And so, man, if that is the character that our God has, that he's willing to set aside his own ceremonial law. Is he absolutely going to set aside this man-made tradition so that Jesus' disciples can eat while they're hungry here in this moment? That's the point that he's making. Of course, the Sabbath was not intended to be a burden. He continues on in verse five and builds on that. Jesus points out the uh, inherent hypocrisy in the rabbinical Sabbath laws. So for the priests, the Sabbath was the busiest work day of the week, hands down. They literally had double the work to do. They would do uh, double the sacrifices, and so all the preparations, dealing with the animals, actually making the sacrifices, dealing with afterwards, they had double the work. Uh, They worked so much on the Sabbath day, but yet it's permitted because, well, they're priests. They're religious. So they can work literally double time. And Jesus' argument is, how does it make any sense that my boys can't eat a little bit when they are hungry? They can't eat a little bit of grain, but the priests can work like dogs all day long. It doesn't make any sense. And it's a compelling, compelling argument. Uh, At this point, I can only imagine that the Pharisees are like fuming. They don't really have anything to say, but they're absolutely fuming, right? Jesus's interpretation of scripture is just absolutely spot on. I mean, he's God in the flesh. Like he's, he's uh, explaining God's heart so perfectly. There's no way he could upset them anymore, is there? Let's keep reading and see God's heart for Sabbath. Six, verse six, <clears throat> I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would, have not, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Just when the Pharisees thought they couldn't get any angrier, Jesus goes and says something like this. And so what Jesus is doing here in these short three verses, he makes three assertions, all of which claim absolute authority. Authority over scripture, authority over the Sabbath, and really authority over all of the law and the entire system. So look there, verse six, something greater than the temple is here. And he is clearly referring to himself. He's saying he carries more authority than the entire system, including the rabbinical Sabbath laws. Verse seven, the scripture, I desire mercy and not sacrifice from Hosea chapter six. He says, applies here, to Sabbath. Living under the rabbinical Sabbath laws is a sacrifice, right? Like it's self-imposing, I am not going to do this in order so that I am following your Sabbath and resting. Like the original intent and heart, like I get it. I think Jesus even gets it, but the outcome is so absolutely missed the mark. He's saying, you guys have turned this into like so much sacrifice that you're missing the point. God's character isn't about like that sacrifice. God's character is about mercy and caring for his kids as we saw from the example in David's story with the bread of the presence. So the Pharisees and the religious leaders should have hearts of mercy for the people, rather than hearts of being the Sabbath police and dictators. Verse eight, the son of man. Uh, So the son of man is a title that Jesus used for himself quite often, refers to both his deity and his humanity. Uh, It says, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath, is Lord of the Sabbath. He is explicitly claiming power and authority over all of the Sabbath. He is the king of the Sabbath. What he says regarding Sabbath goes, and he says the disciples are guiltless, by the way. Interesting part about this is I feel like this sounds very, very familiar. There's kind of a little bit of an authority struggle here because up until this point, learning about the subjectivity of the Sabbath laws, who has claimed authority over the Sabbath? The religious leaders, right? The Pharisees, priests, rabbis, whatever they have said has gone. And Jesus is saying, nope, nope, nope. I have authority over the Sabbath. Ultimately, God cares about his kids. He cares about his kids and wants the Sabbath to be a blessing. All right, at this point, you might be saying, all right, Josh, I get it. I'm with you. You're preaching to the choir a little bit here. Uh, We are definitely on board, and we agree that Jesus has authority over the Sabbath. He is right. The Pharisees are wrong. Uh, God intended Sabbath for the good of the people, not as an oppressive weapon to be used against them by the religious leaders. Josh, what's your point? Where are we going? What is practical and applicable here today? There are a couple of things. Thank you so much for asking. What a great transition. Um, There are a couple of questions that I think this passage brings up for us today. The first one is this, where has our church culture and tradition missed the mark on how we live out scripture, right? So just here as the Pharisees, as the religious people of of their day, missed the mark as it, uh, Um, goes along with keeping and following the Sabbath command that the Lord passed down, just as they missed the mark with that, what are those areas for us today that we've missed the mark? Where does our modern American Christian church, and yes, I mean, even our branch of the modern American Christian church, get it wrong? I, uh, I came across a Babylon B post the other day, if you're not familiar with them. It's a social media uh, guy and he does uh, Christian satire. And most of them I find entertaining, but this one I thought was particularly good. Check this out. Uh, it says this, congrats, you found the only 100%, bran- uh, 100% correct branch of Christianity. And I was like, oh, it's so perfect. Don't we all think that exactly how we do it? Our tradition is the perfect one. Uh, I think we all need a little dose of humility and knowing that there have got to be some things that we're not getting right. We're going to get up there someday and we're going to be like, oh, that's what you meant. That's how you want us to live. Ah, I'm such a moron. Um, I just think, man, it would be incredibly foolish to think that we are the first and only to get it 100% right. Uh, So that's the first question is where do we miss the mark in our theology? Uh, And the second is, man, what do we do with the Sabbath today? What do we do with that? While I uh, might be able to suggest a few answers to question one, um, and I, I think I came across a few and have in my back pocket, uh, I'm only going to touch on one today, and uh, the only one that I'm going to offer here today is actually related to question number two. I would contend that a major issue for much of the American church today is is a significant lack of rest. A significant lack of rest and living contrary to God's design and God's best for us in that area of our lives. I am not going to spend any time, uh, really at all, diving into different arguments on, is Sabbath a binding command for us today? For Jesus followers uh, here living in a New Testament world, is Sabbath still a binding command from the Lord? Uh, We're not going to dive into kind of the arguments this way, that. Um, I think there are valid arguments on both sides, um, but I don't think it's important for us to dive into all of the arguments. If you want to, at some point, we can. Um, but I don't think it's important to because the truth be told, the more I learn uh, about it, the more I'm convinced that it doesn't really matter if it's still a binding command. Because more important than the Sabbath status as a command, it was originally designed and intended as a gift. It was originally intended and designed as a gift. And scripture points to that. So uh, Mark, uh, author Mark, in his account of this very story that we're reading through, it's in Mark chapter two, he actually fills in and records a couple of extra lines that Jesus shares with the Pharisees. And one of them is found in Mark two, chapter 20, uh, verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Let me repeat that. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was intended as a gift for man. Pastor John Mark Comer points out that before Sabbath was ever a command as we see it for the first time in Exodus and the 10 Commandments, before it was ever a command in Exodus, it was built into the rhythm and fabric of creation back in Genesis. As God created the world and all of us, Sabbath rest was built into the fabric of creation. From the very, very beginning, we were created to need regular rest. We need rest for our physical, emotional, and relational spiritual well being. Physically, I generally only get sick after long, busy stretches. Not to say that I don't pick up a bug here and there, for sure. uh, But generally speaking, I only get sick after a long, extended, busy stretch without much rest. Case and point. Uh, last week, we were in Mexico all week. We missed. I missed my Sabbath rest day on Friday. And even the week before that, I was doing some prep stuff, had a wedding on the Saturday night before we left for Mexico on Sunday. Just kind of had a stretch of a little bit. Sunday, uh, The week in Mexico, not much rest just physically. My sleep wasn't great. Come back and I've been like, you can hear it, right? And I've been like this for a few days now. Um, yeah, that's just kind of the results of lack of rest. Everybody understands that. That's how we we know that's how our bodies are wired. Um, but I think it goes even deeper than that. My question for anybody out there that is dealing with longer term kind of recurring uh, health issues that just flare up from time to time, doctor can't really pinpoint anything, not really sure what's going on, just know that I've got these recurring health issues my question for you is how uh, good is your regular rhythm of rest in your life now i'm not saying that every single health thing is rest related Um, certainly there are situations out there that doctors can't pinpoint but man what a great starting point to ask what is your regular rhythm of rest it's a question that needs to be asked, I think. Our bodies were designed to need regular rest. Caffeine can only do you so much good, and then the body breaks. Emotional. Emotional well-being. Uh, anxiety, depression, mental breakdowns are such a common part of our society today. And there's no way that you can convince me that our culture of go, 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 go and anxiety, depression, mental breakdowns, you can't convince me that there's no connection. You cannot convince me that there's no connection. Again, I don't think that a lack of rest is the source of all anxiety, of all depression, of all mental breakdown. But my question for you is if you deal with anxiety, depression, or mental breakdown, what is your regular rhythm of rest? Do you have one? It's a good starting place. Could absolutely be a contributing factor. Relational and spiritual well-being. One of the best things about church on Sunday is that it is a set-aside time to come and slow down. I would say fairly regularly, at least once a month, somebody prays from the stage, right? I've been thinking about it. Somebody prays for the stage, Lord, just thank you for this time that we have, this Sunday morning where we can come and it's set aside and we can just slow down and we can just focus on you. We pray that regularly, right? No doubt that is an important piece of the Sunday morning experience. Um, And my question is this, for those of you that feel dry in your relationship with the Lord, feel like, man, I'm I'm just so dry. Like there's just not a whole lot of vibrance in my relationship with the Lord. My question is the exact same question. What is your regular rhythm of rest? Do you even have margin? Do you even have space? Do you have time? to connect with, to commune with, to hear from the God of the universe that loves you? What is your regular rhythm of rest? Again, we were created to need regular rest, like one out of every seven days, like a seventh of your life regular, not like I've got vacation coming up in a few months, I'll rest then, like one out of every seven days. That's how we were designed. It's interesting when we talk about sexuality in the church, I feel like one of the biggest topics that we bring up is that the Lord designed us, he created us, he knows how he wired us, and so we trust his design for us in the area of our human sexuality because he knows what's best for us. And so we use the argument, sometimes I don't always feel like, sometimes I have feelings that are contrary to how God has designed us and he said that he's designed us in our sexuality, but I trust him. I trust him and therefore I live under the guidelines that he's given us. The same is true for rest. He has designed us. He has made us a specific way. Are we willing to live by the guidelines that he has given us? The Antiochos have just recently started keeping a weekly Sabbath uh, just about two months ago. Um, so it's pretty darn fresh. I am uh, not speaking from a place of, oh, I have this all figured out. Um, I'm kind of coming to this pretty pretty new as well. Um, Pastor John Mark Comer, who I mentioned earlier, he started a nonprofit organization called Practicing the Way. And the nonprofit's intent is, Uh, Their aim is to help churches institute spiritual disciplines in a life-giving way. And so we started going through that. It wasn't necessarily that we had this deep conviction, this inner conviction about um, Sabbath and that we need to start Sabbath. Uh, Honestly, it was just the first of the disciplines that they had. And I was like, oh, I want to check it out. Let's do it. Um, So the teaching has been fairly convicting. And honestly, uh, what it's done is it's stirred up kind of this deep longing for Sabbath rest, which I think we all have. I think if like anybody that listens uh, to me now, if I was to say, man, just imagine that you had this day every week set aside um, to just rest and to commune with the Lord, and um, to relax, and to just like unwind, and to reset your body, to reset your mind, to slow down. Um, I would imagine that 99% of people listening would be like, oh man, I want that. That sounds incredible. Um, So... Uh, there was this kind of deep longing that kind of swelled up from that. Uh, But honestly, the number one thing that hooked me, the number one thing that hooked me and caused me to make a change and caused us to make a change in our schedule and in our life, um, and Lord willing, that will continue, uh, was a statistic. Not that all statistics are uh, great or very compelling, but I found this one incredibly compelling. There was a study done on a large group of Christians that keep Sabbath regularly, keep Sabbath weekly. And they're, they're very, um, yeah, they, they keep it regularly. Uh, and they found that this group of Christians who kept Sabbath regularly, on average lived 11 years longer than those who don't keep Sabbath. 11 years. Here's the crazy part. If you were to add up one day from every week over the course of an average lifespan, how many years do you think that comes out to? About 11 years. Boom, mind-blowing. In essence, on average, okay, may I say that again? On average, every day that you keep in Sabbath rest just gets tacked on to the end of your life. Obviously, I can't make any promises, right? But on average, that's how it works out. That, those are the implications for how much we need rest. So for the last few months, uh, as I said, this is still very, very new, every Friday, is the day that we have set aside for Sabbath rest. Uh, My work week is Sunday through Thursday and we found Friday to be uh, just the the best day that works for us. If I did not work in the church, Sunday would absolutely be our day of Sabbath rest. But every Friday, uh, over the past two, two and a half months, we turn off our cell phones, we don't watch TV, we don't check email, we don't do any housework. Instead, we spend time as a family We go to the park, we nap, we read, we pray. And uh, while we're still kind of figuring out exactly what our day of Sabbath looks like on a week-in, week-out basis, uh, so far my very favorite tradition that has kind of started to be a regular thing is our Sabbath afternoon picnic out on our back patio on the turf. We'll lay a blanket out there. Lindsay and Hannah will eat there on the blanket. We pull over Holly's little toddler table, and Holly and I sit across from it and just eat and hang out. and. It's the best. It's, it's my favorite meal of the week. Uh, it is absolutely my favorite day of the week. I could go into more detail about what we do, what we don't do, any of that. Uh, I could go into more detail about what we've been learning. Could go even in more detail about just like diving into this conversation about Sabbath. I could, um, and there's still plenty of valuable things to be said around it. Uh, But in order to wrap up our time and kind of uh, hopefully bring all the pieces together, uh, I'd just like to close with a few more thoughts uh, to kind of wrap us up. The first one is this. Absolutely anyone can keep Sabbath or create a regular rhythm of rest in your life, regardless of your life stage. We've got little kids, which is its own challenge in this season of life, Uh, but there are challenges at all seasons of life. There are barriers at every life stage. Um, So regardless of life stage, regardless of how important and how busy you are, absolutely you can build in a Sabbath or regular rhythm of rest. Honestly, it just comes down to what you prioritize. Um, And I think it's just worth figuring out what you actually prioritize. The second thing is, man, the main focus of Sabbath is not just the physical rest and relaxation. It's not just 11 years added on to the end of your life. Although that's absolutely part of it. That is absolutely part of it. The main focus is the relational and spiritual part. Man, how do you get to commune with the people you love the most and with the Lord? It's not just a programmed Sunday morning thing that you just go to get out and go on with life that's quote unquote set aside, but it's man legitimately communing with the God of the universe that loves you. Um, When you think about it, uh, I find it pretty fascinating and kind of ironic that uh, we have swayed from God's intention for Sabbath, literally in the complete opposite direction as the first century Jews. Yet we've landed in the exact same spot. The first century Jews had thousands of rules for Sabbath. We have none, and yet we both find ourselves in a uh, situation with a really bad lack of rest. My hope, in uh, all of this is not that you're hearing that I want to institute Judaism 2.0. That is not uh, what I'm uh, saying by any means. Uh, Also, I'm not hoping to give any part of shame. Like I said, we're just like two months in. We are babies and infants and figuring out our way along this. And like, I can't even promise that this is gonna stick, right? Ask me in a couple months. And Lord willing, my hope and desire is that we continue in uh, pursuing a healthy rhythm of rest Uh, so that we can commune with him more. Uh, I am not coming from a place of like shaming by any means. Uh, My hope is to encourage and inspire and say, man, if you like long for this, it just legitimately takes some figuring out what does this look like in my life? I just know that this has been an absolute blessing for us and our family over the last few months. Um, It has absolutely been our favorite day of the week, and I am firmly convinced that this could be a game changer for you physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, all of the above. Um, Let me pray for us as we wrap up. Dear Father, um, Lord God, thank you so much for your word and thank you for a chance to come in. Thank you, uh, for Jesus and his amazing words and how he interprets scripture into such an amazing way. God, thank you so much for your heart for us. Even just thinking back to creation and wiring us for a need for rest and building Sabbath, uh, into the rhythm of all of creation. Um, God, I just ask, um, yeah, that you just speak to us individually about um, what you want for us in this area of our lives. Um, God, I absolutely know that it is easier to just fill the calendar up, and sometimes we like filling the calendar up, and sometimes resting means saying no to things, and uh, there's a tension there. And I also know that some people have uh, work situations that don't allow for Uh, something like an organized I I just know that there's lots of different situations going on uh, and people coming from lots of different places uh, of life and God I pray that you just meet us all where we're at Um, my hope uh, is just that we come to you with hands open saying God um, what do you want for me for my body physically but more importantly for my body relationally and my body relationally with those around me those I love and with you um, God, we ultimately want to follow you. We want to be filled up by you. And we just know that we need space for that. And so, Lord, I just um, give you this time and ask that you use it in ways um, that only you can. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we pray this all in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.